week, and we're going to be there for at least a year. Um, it, it's going to take us a while to get through it. There's not a lot that you can go, oh, we're just going to skip that, no big deal. Um, no, we need to look through it. We need to study it. We need to understand it because it's about us now shifting our focus from what Jesus did to now what we have been called to do. Um, and that is to be on the mission field, to be the people that are moving forward uh, in, in the kingdom. And, and so last week, we just kind of had an overview of what was taking place. This morning, we're really going to start to dig in, uh, and, and we're going to look at receiving the power of Jesus. That is the purpose of what we have been called to do. Last week, Jesus said, hey, I want you to hang out, and I want you to stay in Jerusalem. He kind of told him to just take a break. You need to wait on receiving the power of the Holy Spirit, and that's what we're really going to dig in uh, to this morning. We're going to talk about being a witness. Now, in order to be a witness, um, you know, if you were in a trial or if you were a witness to an accident and the police asked you to, to, to tell them what was going on, um, it, it's about your personal story of what actually took place. Like, on Monday, when this storm hit, Justin and I and then Teresa and I, we went out and we were clearing trees on 610, and we did it all day long. And there were a lot of looky-loos that were out there, and I hope you weren't one of them. Uh, because I yelled at you a lot, um, because there were so many people that they were like, hey, I've got a Toyota Prius, and let's go see what's going on in this snow. <laughs> what's wrong with you? Um, but then there were even trucks that were out there, and I was telling Justin, I'm teaching Justin valuable lessons for life. Just because you can go forward doesn't mean you can stop. And then there's also things that are falling, so we are out clearing trees off of 610, out our way, west on 610, and the moment that one would come, you would, hear, you would hear snap and pop, and as I'm using the chainsaw, I'm telling Justin, I said, Justin, you need to keep an eye on him, and you need to be ready to grab my hoodie and pull me back because I'm running the saw and I can't hear him. And you would hear him snap, crack, boom. And I, we had just cleared a tree, and I thought for sure I was going to be a witness to something bad happening. Um, because there was this Dodge Ram that was waiting, and he was just inching his way closer and closer and closer to what was happening. And I hope it was no one in this church. I don't know anybody that drives a red Dodge pickup truck. If you're listening to this, I'm not happy with you, and I hope your truck is okay. Um, I cleared a tree. I got it out of the way, and no more than the tree was cleared out of the way, this truck decides he's making a run for it. He couldn't wait any longer, and he takes off. Justin and I get out of the way. The other people, they get out of the way, and the truck makes it, and you hear a crack, pop, boom, right on the bed of his truck. Like, that's what you get. I, I didn't. Uh, forgive me, Lord. Um, you dodge people, I'll tell you. I don't know. Anyways, I was like, what? And th he just kept driving. He just kept driving. And, and thankfully, as far as I know, he was okay. The truck was okay. But I did. I thought about this sermon because the sermon was already written, and I'm like, well, here I get to be a witness for something. Uh, you know, the police are going to come back, and they're going to, you know, what happened? Can you tell us what happened? Well, this idiot was right. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. I right. Anyway, so a witness is someone simply who can, can speak from personal experience about what is true. How are you doing at telling people about Jesus? Are you being a witness? Are you telling the truth about who Jesus is? A, a first-hand witness reports what was personally seen. And, and so that's really what we're going to focus in on. And here's the thing. You can't be a witness and sit on your couch. 
Okay, you have to be involved in church. You have to be involved in other people's lives for you to, one, be a witness to the work of Jesus, and then to be that witness to go out and tell people about the work that actually did happen. To establish the veracity of something, there are six questions called reporter's questions that are often asked. When, who, how, what, where, and why. You see, a witness is one who can testify when something has happened, who was involved, how it unfolded, what happened, where it took place, and why they think that it happened. So let's jump in. Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. This is what we read. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will, f- and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things and they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in, a white, in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So we could sum up the entire sermon with one easy sentence. This is it. We're called to witness where we are but not stay where we are, okay? Listen, you're gonna hear it a lot this morning. We're called to witness where we are, but not stay where we are. So let's look at these six points in in a few different words here this morning. The first one is perspective. Perspective. The first thing a witness establishes when something occurred. While the disciples were focused on the future, right? Like that's what they wanted to know. Are you ready to restore the kingdom? Is it coming to pass? Is it that time right now? Jesus wanted them to be fully present in the moment, right then, in that very moment. Look again, six and seven. It says, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he says, hey, don't worry about future. Let's focus on the now. Let's focus right now. The tense of the disciples' questions is that they were, comp- they were repeatedly asking it. Hey, is it time? Hey, Jesus, is it time? Is it time? Hey, Mom, are we there yet? Dad, are we there yet? Dad, are we there yet? Dad, are we there yet? No! How long till we're there? Five minutes. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? The disciples repeatedly were asking. They wanted to know, okay, Jesus, you died, and you told us that that's what needed to happen. So now... Physically, it's time to make the kingdom happen now, right? And Jesus says, it's not for you to know. Don't worry about that side. Again, the disciples, even at this moment, were still focused in on a physical kingdom. Okay, you died, you resurrected. Now it's time for you to defeat Rome, right? Now it's time for you to take... And so they were focused on kind of the wrong things. And there's many times that I've gotten upset with the disciples because they were like, okay, Jesus, it, it's like it was clicking with them. Now, now it must be the time. Now it must be the time. And, and, but that's what they were waiting on. Because in Matthew chapter 19, verse 28, Jesus says, truly, I say to you, 
in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you will have followed me. You who followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So it must be time now, right? They thought, they truly understood. And here's the thing. Peter, James, John, Andrew, Bartholomew, Timothy, they all expected Jesus to come in their lifetime. And here's what I want to make sure that you understand as well. You need to be prepared and witnessing like Jesus could come back in our lifetime. Oh, he'll come back down the road. I don't have to witness today. I can sit on my couch. No, all of us need to be actively witnessing and sharing. You see, their question actually represented a very strong faith. They were also eager to see God's glory fill the earth. They wanted to know if this was the time that that would truly happen. Here's the thing. Jesus also doesn't rebuke them. They don't get it again. No, he doesn't rebuke them in this moment. Instead, he tenderly redirects them. He tells them that they don't need to know the timing because it's time for them to take up his tasks. He left, he is leaving, and now the tasks are ours to do. So first we get perspective, and then we have the people. The disciples' perspective was locked into when God was going to inaugurate his kingdom, and now in the first part of verse 8, we're going to jump down to verse 8, Jesus is telling them who he was going to accomplish this work with. Verse 8 says, but you... The word but is a term of contrast suggesting a shift in direction. The word you shows that this is a personal command. No, the timing isn't now, but you. Personalized. You are the ones. We're shifting direction. We're not talking about the future kingdom. We're talking about the now. We're talking about being witnesses. And it is all about you, Jesus says. J. Vernon McGee says it's our business to get the word of God out to the world. It is a personal command for us. Verse 8 contains the last recorded statement that Jesus gives in the entire Bible. The final command must become our first concern because Jesus continues his work today and he does so through each and every one of us. This command is of utmost importance because it's through us that it happens. I, I, I like what David Platt says in this regard. He says, the church is not a building to see or a place to sit. The church is a movement to join. Are we in movement? Are we in forward motion? Are we moving forward together? Not just to come and sit in a warm building on a Sunday morning, but when we leave this building, and listen, we need to gather we need to come together. We need to have this ability to come and to worship together to get ourselves ready to walk out into our mission field, which is just outside of those doors. So all of this, this is great. We're pulling up and we're getting warm and we're getting ready and we're getting psyched and we're getting pumped and then we go out those doors and we share the message to be the witnesses just outside of those doors. We're called to, to witness where we are but not stay where we are. Number three, I'm going to spend uh, some time here, and you're going to hear this one throughout this entire sermon series, power. Power. Jesus not only told, uh, not, he didn't only tell them um, where the pe wh that they were the people that he wanted to use. He also informed him, formed them how they were going to do it. Verse 8 says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. 
You see, the promised Holy Spirit will give them everything that they need. The word power is used 10 times in the book of Acts, and it is dunamis. It is dynamite. Where we get, the Greek word is dunamis. It's where we get our word for dynamite. Power. Explosive power that cannot be held in. When it explodes, it goes off. And we hear it, and we see it, and we feel it. Dynamite. Dynamic power. That is the power that will be inside of us. Acts 4.31 tells what happened when Christ's followers were filled with the Holy Spirit. So what happens uh, when we get to Acts chapter 3, and we're going to go into greater detail, but in Acts chapter 3, and I love, Acts chapter 3 and 4 are some of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Because in Acts chapter 3, Peter and John, they're on their way to pray. They're going to, towards the temple. The beggar is sitting outside of the gate, you know, give me money, give me money. And Peter says, hey, um, wealth and riches I don't have, but what I have, I will give you. Take up your mat and walk. And we talked about this last week. He doesn't just go, oh, okay, maybe we'll see what happens. Maybe he did stand up that way. Maybe he was afraid to stand up because he was like, I don't, no muscle tone, right? He's a beggar. He's just been laying there. And he gets up, and what's he do? He starts doing jumping jacks and flips and crazy stuff all over the way to the temple. And the moment that the temple people hear about this, those teachers, those leaders, those Pharisees, they said, all right, Peter and John in jail. And they want to lock Peter and John up. And they tell them, hey, shut up. We don't want to hear any more about this Jesus guy. We don't want to hear about any of this power. And Peter says... I can't help but speak. And once they're released, they go back and they're in this house. We don't know where, but it's somewhere in Jerusalem. They get in this house and they start praying. The believers start praying, and this is what we read. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. They had dunamis power inside of them. They had dynamic power because of the Holy Spirit living inside of them. One commentator gave us this great insight. It's not you, or it's not you are going to witness and then receive power, but the other way around. You are going to receive power, the result of which you are going to be witnesses. And notice that it's not if, but it's when you receive power. The moment that you give your life over to Jesus Christ, you receive the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And you have dynamic, dunamis power inside of you. Right now, if you have given your life over to Christ, you have this power inside of you right now. The phrase, has come, is in the aorist tense, which indicates the Spirit's coming will be a definite historical event. When does this happen? It happens on the day of Pentecost. And we're going to really dig into that in in a couple of weeks from now. On the day of Pentecost, it was a historical event. And immediately upon conversion, these believers received the Spirit. And guess what? You received that same Spirit. Again, you receive it inside of you. And don't miss how important this is. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, we are powerless. Without the power of the Spirit, we're helpless. We can't do it on our own. 
where were these 12 guys? Where were these 11 guys? Where were they hiding out at? I just gave you the hint. Um, Where were they at prior to receiving the Holy Spirit? They were hiding. They were scared to death. They were afraid that they were going to be hung on the cross next. They were scared. They were powerless. They were hopeless. They were helpless. And the moment that they received the gift of the Holy Spirit, we talked about this last week, not one of them ever questioned again. Not one of them ever denied again. They went forward with great boldness. Doubting Thomas never doubted again. Doubting Thomas, we are, we are told that he actually took off. We don't read about him anywhere in the book of Acts because do you know what we're told? He, went, he, he headed to India. He was run through with a spear in India because he took the power and said, I, I, I can't keep this in. I'm out. And he took off and he spread it wherever he went. We have the power of the Holy Spirit to be the witnesses if we will just unleash it. We're called to witness where we are, but not stay where we are. Number four, there has to be a plan, right? And that's what Hannibal says. I love it when a plan comes together. Kids are like, what's he talking about? In the next part of verse eight, we see that the disciples are called to be, look what it says, and you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. This is both a command and a commission. Look again at that phrase, and you will be my witnesses. Jesus doesn't say, you shall do, but you shall be. You shall be. Not you, well, you, 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 sh- you shall do, but you will be. We're merely to bear witness, not merely to bear witness. We are to be witnesses. We don't just bear witness. We should. We need to tell people, but we need to show people as well. Very, very important and and different here. To put it another way, you are already a witness. The question is, what witness are you communicating? You are a witness, but what are you getting across? A witness is one who has seen and heard and experienced the explosive, life-changing power of Christ in their life. Acts chapter 4, verse 20 describes the work of witnesses. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. That's what Peter said. Peter and John are standing there. They, they're they're going to be flogged. They want to kill them. They want to kill them, okay? They beat them and say, okay, we're going to release you. Shh, no more. And, and Peter says, we, we, we can't help but speak. We are witnesses. We have seen the work and the power of Jesus. The word witness is used 29 times in the book of Acts. Our job is not to be prosecutors or even defense attorneys. Simply, we're to speak like the man spoke in John chapter 9, verse 25. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. Be a witness. Be a witness to what you have seen and you have heard. Do we need to be able to give a defense? Absolutely. Peter talks about that. In First Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, he says, but always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you, but do it with gentleness and respect. And so, yes, we need to be prepared to defend, but sometimes the first thing that we need to do is just bear witness and then be a witness. By the way, a witness can't testify to hearsay. 
If you're sitting on your couch, you can't be a witness. You have to see it, you have to hear it, you have to feel it, and then you can share it. That's what we have to understand. There is a big difference. We're called to witness where we are, but not stay where we are. Number five, place. What is the place that this is supposed to take place? Look at the last part of verse 8. In Jerusalem, and in Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. While he wanted his disciples at the moment, Jesus says, hey, hang out here in Jerusalem for just a little while longer. The Spirit is coming, and I want you to wait right here just a little while longer. But the moment that he does, he says, all right, and he wants to unleash them with the power of the Spirit and then for them to go and to start right there in Jerusalem. But they can't just stay in Jerusalem. They have to get out there and spread the gospel. Jesus never intended the gospel message to stop in Jerusalem. He intended it to continue moving on. And it's not a either or, but it's a both and. He wants you to stay in Jerusalem and to go out. He wants you to continue to witness where you are, but then get outside of your comfort zone as well. So let's just break these down for a second. Jerusalem. This was the Jewish capital, and this is where the gospel was going to penetrate first. Jesus made it clear in Luke chapter 24, he says, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things and behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with the power from on high. Those first followers of Jesus did such a great job that this is what their enemy said about them. Acts chapter five, verse 28 says, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. They were doing their job at being witnesses in Jerusalem. But here's the thing. Jesus says, I don't want you to stay there. He says, I want you to go to Judea. Well, where's Judea? After the exile, when they come back, the, the kingdom, after uh, King David died, Solomon dies, the kingdom is split into two. Okay, And, and Judea is the southern half of Israel. And he says, okay, you, you've already been up here in Jerusalem. Take the message down here. So I want you to go to the southern half. But then here's the thing. I also want you to go to this other half um, to people that you don't really like. I want you to go to Samaria. And the Jews, when they heard this, they went, are you sure, Jesus? They're half-breeds. They're not like me. And, and they don't like me, and I don't like them, and so, um, are you sure? Like, really, I, I need to go to them? Evangelism must include our enemies. Evangelism must include those that are kind of like us, but aren't really like us. Evangelism must go to everyone. Who would that be in our world today? opposite political parties they're like us but they're really not like us right like i no i i can't go to them uh nah i can't go to them either they're too crazy for really understanding jesus right they'll never accept anyways right yes you need to go to both sides if you're over here 
they need the gospel. If you're over here, they need the gospel. Everyone needs the gospel, and we need to go to those that are enemies, that aren't, that they're kind of like us, but they're not really like us, and we need to go to them. What's the ends of the earth look like? The word end means remote, extreme. At that time, Rome was considered the farthest away at 1,400 miles from Jerusalem. The book of Acts ends in Acts chapter 28, verse 31, with this report about Paul from Rome. Proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. He had made it 1,400 miles away. But here's the thing. When you understand Paul, Paul was going to make a pit stop. He wanted to go to Rome, but he wasn't going to stay in Rome. He was headed to Spain. He was going to stop there for just a minute. He was going to spread the gospel, but then he was going to keep going. And that's what we read here, that he proclaimed the gospel. And that is what we have been called to do as well. As well. From Rome, the gospel literally traveled to the ends of the earth. You see, we're to cross all regional, cultural, linguistic, and geographical bar- barriers. We have to go to everyone. This is the key verse. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It is the key verse to all of the rest of the book of Acts. And it serves as an outline of the geographical spread of the gospel. In in chapters 1 through 7, we're we're focused in primarily on Jerusalem. In chapters 8 through 11, the gospel moves out to Judea and Samaria. In chapters 11 through 19, the message resonates, uh, 11 through 28, the, the message resonates all the way to Rome. And that's what we see truly happening, and that's what we're going to look at as we walk all the way through the book of Acts. While the gospel pen- penetrated Jerusalem, here's the thing, it actually took persecution for the gospel to spread. Look at Acts chapter 8, verse 1. It's basically a reverse of Acts 1, 8. It says, And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Sometimes we need a push to spread the message. Sometimes we need a little persecution to spread the message, to get us to wake up. If we want to be committed to God's purposes, we need maybe a little push. And that's exactly, it was more than a little push (laughs) uh, when we read what actually took place here. But he says, it's time for you to go. You're happy, you're healthy, things are going well, but it's time for you to get out and spread the word. Do you know that right now there are approximately 6,900 unreached people groups right now? Most of them live in this area called the 1040 window. Um, it's this area that goes across Africa and in uh, to Asia. Um, here's a stunning statistic. Of the 55 least evangelized countries, 90% of the population lies within the 1040 window. And only about 2.4% of global missionary force is focused in this very area. And sometimes I hear people say, why are we sending missionaries around the world when we have a lot of lost people right here in America? Why, why, are, we, why are we trying to spread the gospel when we have need right here? Well, let me just share this with you. 
in northern Africa, there is one pastor, only one pastor for every two million people. If we take that ratio and we apply it to the United States, we would have only about 120 full-time pastors. Seven small churches in our entire country. Allow that to sink in. One pastor reminds us we can go, we can send, or we can disobey. I had this question proposed when we had our uh, back, uh, as we were giving um, where we stand, uh, our financial update, and where we stood uh, leaving 2021 and coming into 2022. Um, and I put this out in an email. They're all listed on our, uh, if you go to our website, you can find all of these. But I just want to share with you our different missions that we support here at Stafford County Christian Church. Uh, locally, we support the MICA ministry. Uh, MICA ministry is located down in Fredericksburg. Uh, we pack meals for them once a quarter. Uh, you all are awesome at helping Excuse me, you are all awesome at helping with that. Um, in the month of December, uh, we helped with the wallets, the Christmas wallets that we collected. We took those. They said thank you so very much that we were able to help. We did 50 wallets. They were looking for 200 wallets, and we did 50 of them. Thank you. You guys are awesome. You are doing the work right here locally with Micah. We have Crossroads. We have Crossroads Missions that are located in um, the Appalachian Mountains. They're, 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 they have several different locations, but they're, they have one of their main ministries is in Louisville. It's in um, uh, the Appalachian Mountains. And then they're starting a new one that we just sent some of our mission money to help seed the project to get going um, in Kentucky where the tornado uh, ravaged uh, here in the last month. Uh, we have sent money to help Seed to get that mission started uh, with Crossroads to where um, people, we will be able to take people to be a part of that. Um, we're going on our mission trip in March uh, with Crossroads. They're, they're located uh, down in New Orleans. Um, that would be considered our Judea. It's in the southern half, so it's Judea. Um, and then um, we, they, they're also based in uh, Pedros Negras, uh, Mexico. So we do work our way out with, with Crossroads. We have Rise Against Hunger. That's great because it's a local thing that we as a church, we get to do, right? We have hands-on uh, of building the bags and putting the food together, and then it goes out. Um, and I haven't been told where the, la where the last batch of food went. It usually goes to Haiti. Uh, it is usually where our, our food ends up. Uh, we have CMF. Um, that's Tim and Tammy Ajo. They came and, and uh, shared with us back in, um, in October, November. Uh, they were here. They're based in uh, England. They are back there. We have CICM. Uh, CICM is based in India. They're doing amazing, amazing mission work within India. And what was awesome with all of the refugees, the Afghan refugees that left and, and headed into India, they actually planted five churches for the Afghan refugees in India. 
and we get to help support that mission field as well. We do Operation Christmas Child. Again, something that we do here locally, we pack those boxes, and then we send those boxes out around the world. So you are heavily, and Travis, why are you sharing all of this with us? Because you are heavily involved in witnessing, not just here in Jerusalem, but you are involved in spreading the gospel message to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the world. And I encourage you to find a way to continually get involved. And, and here's just a side note for you again. Um, 10% of our budget that we do every year, 10% of our budget goes to missions. So we are tithing back to the mission field of spreading the gospel message. You see, we're called to witness where we are, but not to stay where we are. So we looked at the when, who, how, what, and where. Let's end by looking at the witness. What is the witnesses? Well, there's a promise that's given to us. We look at verses 9 through 11. Jesus tells us why we're to be witnesses to our neighbors and ultimately to the nations. And when he had said these things and they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into the heaven as he went, behold, two Two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So the disciples, they're locked on the Lord, right? All of a sudden, gravity is no longer working on Jesus. And he is taken up into the clouds. And as he is taken up there, he is not in some cumulus cloud that's hiding him. He is taken by the very presence of God. And the word here, gazing and looking, it actually means to fasten your eyes upon, to look intently at something. And it wasn't like they were just kind of looking up. It wasn't that they were just dumbfounded going, where did he go? The idea here in the Greek is that they were saddened. There was great sadness. There was brokenness in their eyes as they watched Jesus being taken away. As we learned last week, when Jesus went up, the Spirit came down. And so they were saddened because they lost their Lord. But they were going to receive a great power inside of them to do amazing things. But here's the thing, and this is what we have to hold on to. Jesus left but he is coming back. And don't go, oh, did he come? Did I miss it? You're going to know. Because he's going to come, and when he comes, everyone will know what has happened. Matthew chapter 24, verse 30 says, Then uh, will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. The, the implication is clear from the angels. Instead of staring up, start sharing around. Instead of looking up, being sad and being broken because Jesus is gone, start sharing right now because he is coming back. And when he comes back, you don't want to be saddened. You want to be excited because you're going home to be with him. That's the ultimate imp implication. It reminds me of what happened when a church was putting on an Easter cantata. During the closing scene, there was a depiction of the ascension of Christ. 
And, and as Jesus was being the, the character who was playing Jesus, he was being hoisted up and there was, there was an opening in the ceiling and there was a group of people that were pulling him by the hoist and as they were pulling him up, their hands slipped on the rope and he slid back down. But the guy playing Jesus never broke character. He looked out and he says, oh yeah, and one more thing, love your neighbor as yourself. And immediately they grabbed a hold of him and they hoisted him right out of their sights. Jesus wants us to love our neighbors. His final words to us, not just love your neighbors, but love everyone. Don't just stop. Who's my neighbor? Remember the disciples asked that, who's my neighbor? Anyone. It's not just the person that lives right next door. They need it. But you have to take that message beyond. Because your neighbor is anyone who does not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We need to get in the practice of asking ourselves this question every day. God, who do you want me to share the message with today? Who can I share the message with? According to one count, the gospel records 132 contacts Jesus made with people. Six of these interactions were in the temple. Four took place in the synagogue. 122 happened in mainstream life. Do you know what that tells me? We're not going to save people by just staying inside of this building. We're going to save people for Jesus Christ by getting out there and sharing in our daily lives. That is what we have been called to do. If we want to be an effective witness, it can't be hearsay. Yeah, I heard this one time. No, no, no. I saw. I feel. I know. Jesus changed my life. Jesus did this for me. He took me from where I was and he set me free. And in that moment, that is what we have to share. Personalized moment. That's what it comes down to. Just sharing the gospel message. And if you're here this morning and you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, today can be that day. And I, I pray that you make it. I pray that you accept him as your Lord and Savior, that you will give your life over to him. You're here and, and you've, never, you've never really gotten around to fully accepting him. And today can be the day that you say, Jesus, you are my Lord and I want to be your witness. Maybe you've already given your life over to him and, and things are just really, you're struggling. I mean, let's just be honest. We would really like 2022 to start over again, right? It hasn't been a very good year already and we're only what? 10 days in, 11 days in, whatever it is, it's not very long. And we already want to do over. Maybe you've been that way with your life with Christ and, and you said, Jesus, um, can I get a do over? Here's the thing. When you come to him, he will give that opportunity to you if you will just accept it. And he will work with you. He will help you. He has the spirit living inside of you that he, that, that spirit will help heal you. But maybe you need someone to pray with. You need someone to, 
to, to help walk along that path with you. you. You've got some really awesome elders, staff that will walk with you, that will help you, that will walk with you in whatever way that you need. Maybe you say, hey, I'm, I'm ready to place my membership. I want to be a part of what's happening at Stafford County Christian Church. You can make that decision as well. We're going to take communion. Communion is a vital part of, of what we do at Stafford County Christian Church. Communion helps us to remember what Jesus did for us. That he lived a life. We, we take the bread to remember his life. His body. That he, was, he, he went through everything that you and I go through. Sadness, pain, hunger. He understands it. The blood represents the fact that he was perfect in every way. And he is the ultimate sacrifice. And so we, we take of that today to remember what he did for us. I'm going to pray, and then after I pray, Justin will continue to play, and you can get up and get the items. They're on the sides, in the front, and in the back. Let's pray. Almighty Father, it is so awesome to be able to be in your presence today. Father, we are so blessed to, to be able to have the warm building. We're so blessed to be able to come and to, to just hear your word today, to sing songs of praise to you. But Father, I pray that we won't stay here. We won't stay in this building. We won't stay in our house, but we will get up, that we will go out, and that we will bear witness, that we will be your witness when we go outside of these doors. Father, as we take of communion, that we remember what you did for us by giving us your son. And Father, I, I just ask that you help each and every person, that if there is someone here that has never accepted you, that today will be the day that they start fresh. Father, you give us the do-over that we need in our life. Let us not take it for advantage. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.